Well, welcome back. Hope you've had a great Christmas break. We are pumped to get back into our Exodus study. I know even as I was thinking over the last couple weeks, planning for this message, planning for this upcoming semester, I'm just so thankful for what God's done through your love for the Word. I'm so encouraged even with our upcoming Read Through the Bible plan. I trust that you're going to be faithful to daily spend time in the Word, take time to pray, read through the passage, pray through the psalm, really just let the Word feed you. I'm praying that through that, you're going to see incredible growth in your spiritual life. I know it's not going to be constant, as in continually up, where every day you're going to be making leaps and bounds, but we do want you to keep moving forward. We're not perfect, and as we're going to study today from this chapter in Exodus, from this passage, The people of Israel weren't perfect either. They had great victories, but oftentimes after those victories came huge defeats, spiritual defeats, actual military defeats. So we can't judge ourselves on the day in, day out. We have to look back at our lives over the weeks, over the months. I mean, think back two years ago even. Look how far you've come in your knowledge of the scriptures. And just think about five years, in ten years, if you continue to daily spend time with God, where you'll be, what you'll be able to do for Him. So that was just kind of the thoughts that I was thinking through over Christmas break. But as we transition, I want to take a few moments really to remind us why Exodus is so key for the believer. Of course, the Exodus from Egypt was a forecast of an even greater Exodus. This concept of being delivered, in our context here in the book of Exodus, delivered the people of Israel were delivered from Egypt. They were delivered out of bondage into freedom, out of slavery into the promised land. Well, this exodus from Egypt was a forecast of an even greater exodus, deliverance from sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we left the children of Israel, they had witnessed God's amazing power at the Red Sea. They saw God deliver them from the epitome of evil up to this point in the Bible. Pharaoh, he is the meanest, most sinful man we've met yet. He commanded the genocide of all of those those Israeli babies. I mean, it even makes us just feel terrible to even think through that. How could someone do such a great sin? God delivered his people from that oppression, from that slavery. They saw God deliver them. And their reaction, Exodus 15, the first part of the chapter, their reaction is to sing a song of praise. It's called the Song of Moses. I'd encourage you to go back and read that song. That song, um, just that, that was their reaction, sing praises to God. But, we know that what comes next was probably what, not what they expected. They saw God work in a great way. He split the waters and they walked through on the dry land. After they were safe, God caused the waters to, cr- to crush the Egyptian army pursuing them. I mean, how awesome is that? If I had been able to be there to see that, to witness that, I mean, you talk about the high of the highs of Christian mountaintops. And maybe that's how you were when you first got saved. I was saved when I was very young. I've shared my testimony a couple times, but because I was saved at a very young age and I grew up in such a strong Christian home, I always kind of wish that I had that amazing Christian testimony where I was saved out of horrible sin. 
where I can look and see this 180 degree drastic change in my life to where I started serving God and doing things for him. But regardless of how I got saved, it's a miracle because I now I understand my own depravity. I understand my own sin. But maybe you remember the moment you were saved and how on fire for God you were. It's not uncommon for people, maybe adults who are saved to just be on fire for God. They start witnessing to like everyone that they know, their families, their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers, their boss, just anybody and everybody. They start witnessing. They start sharing the love of Christ because they're on this mountaintop. They, their eyes have been opened. I'm sure here for the Israelis, they were on that mountaintop. They're thinking, wow, what's God going to do next? How is he going to work? But, like us, what happens in the weeks and the months and the years after our salvation? The process known as sanctification, which is the long, hard, difficult process of being conformed to the holiness of God, is what's the next step. See, we're justified in a moment, but we're sanctified over the course of a lifetime. And that's difficult. That is long. That's the marathon. That is not a sprint. With the Red Sea and Egypt behind them, now Israel was faced with the desert. Perhaps the Israelites expected God to take them from the victory at the Red Sea immediately to the victory in the Promised Land. But that was not God's plan. His plan for them would be difficult. The road would be wearisome. The Promised Land could only be reached through the wilderness. It's kind of our introduction as we are about to jump into this text. And really to help us focus our thoughts on this text. I wonder maybe, what's your favorite meal? Do you have any events in your life where they're centered around meals? Growing up in my home, uh, birthdays were a big deal. My mom still, she loves to throw birthday parties for, I mean, we're all grown up now, but she loves to throw birthday parties. She would buy us a birthday balloon. It would be up like the whole month on the chair that we would sit at at the dinner table. We'd have a birthday party. We'd have presents. We'd have cake. My mom was a baker, so she would bake us this awesome cake. We'd have ice cream. It would just be a celebration really fun day. Well, but part of it was we got to pick the restaurant that we got to go eat at that night, and it was always a big deal. I always, I always would eat at my favorite Mexican restaurant, Los Mariartes, until, you know, one day they were closed down because of, like, uh, hepatitis C. That's kind of unfortunate, but, yeah. But, sorry, lost in my thought there, but food was a huge deal, and food is a big deal, especially on road trips, like, if you're going more than like two hours and you start thinking, well, I saw a sign for McDonald's. But, oh, there's another. Oh, Subway sounds pretty good. <laughs> we're going to see that the children of Israel in these passages that we're going to look at, they're faced with some, some trials, th some tests. And the first test comes in the form of water and bread. They needed to eat. They're now in the wilderness. They're now marching towards the promised land. How are they going to eat? How are they going to survive? Through these three tests in the wilderness, the, the children of Israel will prove that they, like their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would fail over and over again. When they were faced with trials, their gut reaction would be to complain and doubt God's love. <laughs> but God was merciful. God was faithful. So let's jump into these. Our first, our first test is the waters at Mara, 
our passage here is Exodus 15, verses 22 through 27. I'm going to read that text, and we're going to talk through this first trial. The Bible says here, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. Mara means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, to Yahweh your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, your healer. Verse 27, Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water, and seventy palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. So we see this first test. They come to the waters of Marah. And what's wrong with them? The waters are bitter. They can't drink it. They'd get sick. And then they would die. That's not good. So they begin to complain. They say, Moses, what are we going to drink? What, what, where are you going to lead us? What are you going to do? Their first reaction should have been to cry out to, to the Lord. Lord, we need help. Provide for us. But that wasn't their reaction. They blamed Moses. They blamed God for not providing for them. But God was merciful. God was gracious. He presented Moses with a log and said, Put the log in the water and I'll make the water sweet. Moses did. Sure enough, the waters were made sweet. They were drinkable. The people could drink. The people could be nourished. But even then, God wasn't done providing for them. Because the Bible said in verse 27, When they came to Elim, there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees. And they encamped there. By the water, God provided for them in this first test. God showed himself faithful when they showed themselves as doubtful. Our second test came in chapter 16. Chapter 16, verses 4 through 8. Let's read through this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And the sixth day... When they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall go, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Essentially, who Moses is saying, who are Aaron and I? You're grumbling against us. Verse 8. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to be full, because the Lord has heard your grumblings that you grumble against him. Oh, I'm sorry. I believe I already read that. He says, Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So we see there that God provided this, this, this bread this, this manna, as they're going to call it, the word manna means, what is it? Literally translates, what is it? Which is hysterical to me. Because the people look out in the morning and they go, what is it? Hey, let's call it that. <laughs> so God provides bread for them every morning. When the dew is there on the ground, boom. It's these white, these white wafer-like things. And they're able to bring in some every day, enough for that day. God said, don't bring in too much. 
and we know that ultimately they 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 would they, they would bring in enough for a couple days and then in the morning it would be rotten it would be spoiled but more so than that the bible says in chapter 16 verse 13 in the evening quail came up and covered the land and in the morning dew lay on the ground and when the dew had gone up there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground, so that God provided quail. He provided meat for them in the night. In the wilderness, he provided meat in the night, water when they needed it, and this manna in the morning. God provided. God provided for them in the second test that they failed. They failed to trust God again, but God still showed himself strong. And our final test here, our final our final challenge for the Israelites is in chapter 17. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And this is the big one. This is the one. In the Old Testament, we, we call things types. And specifically, we look at different aspects of the Old Testament, and we can actually see types of Christ in the Old Testament. This is one of those. It's not Christ himself, but it's something that's so closely kind of precursors what Christ did. And of course, it's because God is awesome and God planned it that way. We see something that so makes us think about Christ and his sacrifice that we call it a type of Christ. Now, sometimes we get quote-unquote type happy and we start thinking, oh, well, there was a, a bird that flew across the sky in that one passage in Second Chronicles. So that's probably a type of Christ because, you know, God's mercies are new every morning and Christ died on the cross, which is the ultimate show of mercy and grace. Well, you know, we, we can stretch that a little bit, but chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, this is a type of Christ. And I think as we read it, you're going to see that. So, verse 1, the Bible says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But, again, there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of, the Israel, of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it. And the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Verse 7. And he, came, and he called the name of the place Massa. Massa means testing. And he called the name of the place Meribah, which means quarreling. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, I don't personally know what your, maybe, personality type is. They have quizzes like that online that you can take, and those are sometimes fun to take. Kind of see, oh, this is kind of where I fit in this category of personality types. When I was younger, I'm the middle child. My older brother, Chad, my younger uh, sister, Courtney, they are very similar in their personalities. Very outgoing, very type A, very opinionated. 
and they would always butt heads, always. So I was kind of the peacemaker. I'm more of the laid back, kind of easygoing. I'm sure you can kind of pick that up with just how I am. My role was that of the peacemaker. Um, yeah, like I said, because my siblings were always arguing and complaining. But despite our best intentions, even me trying to sometimes reconcile my, my brother and sister, I was trying to do the right thing, I'd still mess up sometimes. I'd still, even myself, sin. I'd still get angry. I'd still get frustrated. We all, like Israel, fall into sin. We need a perfect Messiah. And through these three failures, the bitter waters, manna and quail, and ultimately the water from the rock where God commanded Moses to strike the rock and water would come forth to you know, provide for the children of Israel. We see ourselves and we see that we fail every day. We're presented with tests. We're, we're presented with life's opportunities to do what's right or to do what's wrong. And how often do we do what's wrong? We need a perfect Messiah. Now we're going to see how those three tests are kind of paralleled. In the New Testament, we're going to see how Jesus was that perfect life, lived that perfect life, was that perfect Messiah. We'll see how he was and is our perfect Savior. We saw how the Israelites struggled with bread, with manna. They, they, they struggled to believe God. Well, <laughs> Christ was able to pass the tests that Israel failed. In Matthew chapter 4, um, we see that Christ was actually tempted by Satan. He was tempted because he was very hungry. He spent 40 days in the wilderness himself, and uh, he was very hungry. Satan came to him, Lucifer came to him, and he said, well, make make this bread turn into a rock, uh, excuse me, make this rock turn into bread. You're powerful enough to do it. But Jesus didn't. What did he say? Man shall not live by bread alone. He didn't give in to his human desires, his human cravings. He knew that that wasn't God's plan. He submitted to God. He trusted God. In John chapter 6, we see how Christ claimed to be the bread of life, the bread from heaven. He entreated the people, the crowds, to feast on him and live. And f where the Israelites doubted God and they took bread and tried to provide it for themselves with manna. Christ said, you, you can't provide for yourself. I am the eternal bread. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, Christ is that rock that was struck for our salvation. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10 really is um, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church here, and he just sums up beautifully that type of Christ that we talk about, Paul made an amazing connection where we can kind of see, sure, Christ was struck for our sin. He was killed. That's a nice picture, but I don't think we really understand it, the depth that, that Paul did. So turn with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read the first five verses. It's just an amazing passage here. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, the church of Corinth that he's writing to. He says, I don't want you to be unaware that our fathers, who we just read about, were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. It's the manna that we just talked about. 
and all drank the same spiritual drink, the water that came from the rock. For they all drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. But he says there, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Paul said, brothers, I don't want you to be deceived that just because you are given blessing, just because God has shown mercy to you at one point in your life, you think that you're just safe. He said, our fathers who delivered from Egypt, they saw incredible blessing. They were baptized into Moses. They passed through the sea. They had manna. They had water. God showed Moses how to strike the rock and to provide for them. He said, and they still did not please God. Christ is that rock that was struck for our salvation. And sometimes it's good to remind ourselves about that. How that even our best intentions, as much as we try, we still fail. Isaiah 53, beautiful passage, talks about Christ. says, Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. So how do we respond to this wilderness story? How do we respond to knowing that the Israelites failed and Christ succeeded? How do we cope with that? Well, I think really there's two applications that we can make. First, of course, we should trust God's providence for our daily needs. Israel's wilderness experience shows us that God is with his people and God provides for his people. So today, so this week, this month, Are you going to trust God when you don't understand what he's doing? Are you going to grumble and complain when you doubt God? What are you going to do? God loves his people. God is with his people. And God provides for his people. Second, our application should be to trust in God's son for our most desperate need. Our most desperate need is that we need a savior. We have sinned against a holy God. And God's righteousness demands a punishment for sin. If we can trust God to provide our daily needs, we can absolutely trust him to provide for our deepest need. Because God proved it to us when he didn't even withhold his precious son from us when he sent christ to die for you and me he showed you there's nothing i won't do to love you there's nothing i won't do to protect you and to provide for you so you can trust god when you don't understand why your parents are fighting you can trust god when you don't understand why your friends are being mean to you you can trust god when you need money when you need academic help when you feel tired when you feel stressed you know why because god sent christ to die for you So trust in the one who lived the life you could not live. He passed the test we could not pass. Trust in the one who is the bread you cannot live without. Receive him and live. Trust in Jesus who was struck for your salvation. Just like that rock, drink of Christ and live. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that you walk with us. Your spirit lives within inside of us and reveals the truth of your word and your will to us. God, we are so fortunate to have the Holy Spirit, to have your word, to have a church, to have a youth group, to have people who love us and care about our soul. Help us to trust you. Help us to rely on you. And Lord, help us to see the needs of others and try our best to meet them, both physical and spiritual. You've given us an incredible blessing and an incredible responsibility because of that blessing to be a light in this world. Bless these teens. Lord, we love them. Use them for your honor and glory. In your name I pray. Amen.